Hey guys, check out Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp, a fully updated second edition, reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. To pick up a copy today, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, hello everybody. How is everybody? My name's Stevie Kim. I am here with Laika today. Ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. How are you? She's just sitting right next to me because um, we're, we'll be doing a tag team today. I have a, I have a meeting, I was, so I was double booked, but I will start this um, clubhouse. Ciao, Michele. Ciao, Stevie. How are you? How are you? Come stai? Oh, bene, bene. I'm what? here in uh, the southwest of England, actually. Uh, I'm doing this uh, clubhouse uh, from Cornwall, which oh. is quite, uh, yeah, yeah. I just uh, just got here for, you know, a couple of days of uh, staycation, as they call them nowadays, and yeah. uh, just relaxing. And uh, we have uh, a lovely weather. As you know, I've been in the UK for 10 years now. And uh, as you know, since... Uh, you know very well Mark Millon. Yeah. Here people are quite fanatic about weather and the weather forecast. So I think I'm becoming like them, Stevie. Oh, great. Listen, how, how has uh, the weather been there in um, it, by you, like in England? and? By oh, you? well, uh, uh, for me, since I come from, uh, you know, uh, Italy, mm-hmm. it has been amazing because uh, sunny, 25 degrees. But, uh, you know... Uh, Many of my friends, British friends, have already started to complain that it's getting too hot and too dry. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. You know, it's a different point of view, I guess. Okay, so for those folks out there today, this is called the Ambassador's Corner, and it's more like a fire chat, um, fireside chat style, where we have one of our ambassadors, ambassadors uh, at large. Today, for example, it's Michele Longari. And he is a Via Italian Wine Ambassador. Um, he got acclimated actually in the London edition. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. I think indeed. about yeah. less than a year ago, right? It was July, I recall. Yeah, July 2022, yes. Yeah, so Michele actually participated because sometimes we also do um, a let's say, let's call it a satellite edition abroad. And we did it in London last year. Um, and and Michele uh, participated in, and he was happily acclimated as the Vinital International Academy Italian Wine Ambassador status. Um, so 
Michaela, tell us a little bit about what you do right now in terms of the wine business, what your role is. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, I've been uh, living in the UK for uh, almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And for the past eight years, I've been working for uh, um, a small independent uh, uh, wine importer called uh, Haywise. And uh, basically within uh, the company, uh, my main role is uh, uh, purchasing director. So basically I am... um, um, directly managing all our direct imports from uh, Italy, France, uh, and Spain. Uh, But I also, uh, let's say, uh, take care of uh, um, our portfolio, make sure that is uh, consistent also for all uh, uh, the main trends going on in the market uh, and also for all the other parts of uh, of the world. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, less than a year ago, um, I did the uh, via uh, agile edition in uh, in london and it was like an amazing experience and uh, uh, i met a lot of uh, uh, very nice people there that are still uh, uh, i would say my friends nowadays mm-hmm. and um, yeah so i think the the uk wine market is a is a vibrant uh, wine market because uh, you know you have wine literally coming from all around the world and i guess as uh, an italian guy doing this job uh, in the uk i also had the opportunity to find uh, different ways to promote and communicate italian wine uh, because obviously uh, the diversity that we have with italian wines is something that uh, is very likely to see uh, anywhere else in the world. So the hay wines, is it exclusively Italian wines or is it, is it no, no, of it's, all uh, wines? Yeah, wines uh, uh, from uh, uh, all around the world, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I would say that we take uh, uh, a lot of pride in our uh, uh, Italian wine portfolio because uh, uh, obviously I've been uh, taking care of the Italian wine portfolio for eight years now and uh, uh, we have, uh, you know, little gems from uh, uh, the Italian peninsula that is very unlikely and difficult to find in the UK. So wines from all around the world, but uh, obviously uh, let's say that uh, I have always pushed a lot (laughs) on to expanding the Italian wine portfolio, yeah. Excellent. Michele, where, where are you from originally? Modena? I can't remember. Modena or Parma? No, Parma. Parma, Parma. Parma. Yeah, okay. Parma. And uh, has your family been afflicted with the rain at all? Or? No, luckily not because uh, uh, the floods are affecting much more the uh, um, eastern part of uh, Emilia-Romagna. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in Parma, uh, you know, they had uh, heavy rainfall, but actually uh, they didn't have... Uh, uh, any issues at all. Uh, so we, uh, in Parma, we have been uh, very lucky and unfortunately we cannot say the same for uh, all uh, uh, the people from Romania and uh, yeah. I have a lot of friends down there and it was uh, very, very, very bad, very sad. Yeah, let's hope for the best. It's been kind of pouring everywhere. I was in Sardinia and it was, I mean, it was crazy rain for three straight days. So it's been uh, raining all over uh, Italy and elsewhere, I, I, I think. So yeah. going back to the show, what is today's program? You will be you will be interviewing Giulia Pedrini. Yeah. And Giulia Pedrini, why did you select her as your interviewee today? Yeah, so um, Giulia Pedrini is uh, uh, part of the family running Cantina Pravis in, uh, in Trentino. 
And the Cantina Pravis is, uh, I would say, currently the work of uh, two generations uh, that are uh, um, learning from each other and also, uh, let's say, complementing each other. So this is very interesting. And uh, um, this is very clear when uh, you start discovering the different wines in their portfolio because uh, you can see at the same time wines that are deeply connected uh, to the, let's say, agricultural tradition of Trentino, uh, but they also perfectly coexist with wines that, uh, uh, let's say, have a more international style. In addition, um, the reason why I wanted to interview Giulia from Cantina Pravis is because Pravis, uh, not many people know that Pravis have been uh, leading the, uh, let's say, the Italian avant-garde of uh, producer, experimenting and now believing in the so-called uh, resistant uh, varieties that, uh, as we know, as uh, you know, Professor Scienza always uh, uh, tell us, uh, uh, they represent actually, to some extent, uh, the future of uh, viticulture. So actually, I thought that uh, uh, interviewing Giulia would be very, very interesting because at the same time we can have a chat about, obviously, Trentino wines, but I also would like to have a special focus on uh, uh, resistant varieties because uh, uh, Pravis actually, they are uh, uh, specialists in uh, resistant varieties. Well, Michele, how, how did you discover Cantina Pravis in the first place? Well, well, it's, uh, it's a funny story because basically when I moved uh, here to the UK was because uh, I wanted to do a master program in uh, wine business management. And when I was at uni, I met a guy, Tim, and uh, which is uh, a very good friend of uh, Julia. And uh, basically Tim kept uh, saying a lot of very good things about uh, Cantina Pravis and Julia. And uh, um, basically... After a while, I managed to uh, meet uh, uh, Giulia, actually in Verona, at Vin Italy, last year. And uh, since then, obviously, I had the opportunity. I, I actually didn't know that uh, they were so specialist in resistant varieties. So when uh, um, I met them the first time, as I mentioned, last year in Vin Italy, uh, it was, uh, you know, a bit of a shock for me to discover a wine producer that has at the same time the typical wines of Trentino, but then it has a, a special range of wines from resistant varieties. So since then, I always wanted to uh, do an interview with Giulia and uh, I met again Giulia this year at Vin Italy and uh, we basically arranged to do this and then I sent a message to Laika and uh, here we are. Okay, here you are. Eccoci. So tell us, as you know, we need to outline in advance the learning objectives. So what should we expect from this um, call today from you yeah, uh, and Julia? As I mentioned, I think that uh, with uh, this talk, uh, we could get a better understanding of uh, uh, the most relevant wines and uh, great varieties of Trentinos and uh, uh, their historical value. Also, I would like to get uh, uh, a clear view on uh, the most crucial challenges that uh, wine producers from this region are facing right now, which I think is a very hot topic. And uh, as I mentioned, obviously getting size and more detail about resistant varieties and uh, understand why producers like uh, Pravis have been... Uh, basically investing a lot of uh, time and money uh, on this kind of uh, uh, great varieties for the past 20 years. So I think it would be very interesting to hear from uh, uh, an actual wine producer uh, why they decided to go down this path, which is obviously was very risky 20 years ago. 
Okay, excellent. So I will now give the mic over to you, uh, Michele, and then Laika is going to take over. Okay, so okay. we will come back to you towards the end of the show, and then you can uh, to see if there are any questions. Okay. Okay. Ciao, Michele. Perfect. Ciao, Giulia. Ciao, Stevie. Grazie. Okay. Hello, everyone, and uh, ciao, Giulia. Are you here? Can you hear me? Ciao, Michele. Ciao, everybody. <laughs> Ciao Giulia. So uh, I just want to give uh, a brief introduction about uh, yourself uh, to the uh, um, uh, other listeners. Um, so uh, we can say that Giulia basically was literally b born to do uh, this job because uh, uh, basically the, the the story of Giulia in the in the wine industry starts very 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 early when she was basically. A baby, a little girl, when she was playing in the, with her dolls in the in the wine cellar, while uh, her father was actually making wine. And uh, I always found uh, very interesting that uh, Julia uh, told me that basically she never even considered doing anything else with her life, rather than working with wine. And uh, um, in order to do that, uh, she went, uh, you know. She had a deep focus in uh, her studies because uh, she basically graduated, took a degree in uh, as uh, enotechnico from uh, uh, the uh, Instituto Agrario of San Michele, and then she went uh, uh, off to London to do the WSET diploma. And uh, once uh, she had done that and she got back to Italy, she basically understood immediately that if she wanted to make uh, a change and have a, a clear impact in uh, her family business, um, she had to fill some gaps uh, of knowledge in uh, marketing and uh, management. So she went back to uni and she also took uh, uh, a degree in uh, uh, business management. Uh, Currently, Julia is mainly dealing with the commercial side of uh, the business, but obviously, she, since this is uh, uh, a family business, uh, in particular during busy periods, in, par in particular during harvest, uh, she is always helping in uh, uh, also the production side of the business. So actually, it's very good, I think, to have a chat with Julia because uh, we can have uh, a very clear view uh, of uh, the wine business, uh, all around, because uh, uh, in this uh, in this way, I think uh, it will be even more uh, uh, meaningful to the to the listener. So, Julia, did I uh, describe uh, uh, your let's say Perfectly. role in the business correctly? Perfectly, yes. Yeah. Correctly. Okay. So, I would say um, actually we'll immediately start with our uh, chat because uh, there are many many different things I would like to cover with you. So. Uh, Let's start from the beginning with a brief introduction of uh, uh, Pravis. So, as I mentioned before with Stevie, Pravis is currently seeing two different generations uh, working together. Um, can you tell us a bit more about uh, your estate, its uh, story, and uh, basically how is it uh, managed nowadays? Sure. But first of all, thank you very much for inviting me here. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure for me. And then, yes, Pravis Winery is um, my family business winery and is located in the Valle dei Laghi in Trentino region. Uh, it was founded in uh, 1974 by my father and two friends. In fact, after completing their studying in enology, the, their dream was to promote our territory with a private winery. It started uh, really 
as a game with a stainless steel tank and two barrels in my grandfather's garage. So really a super game. The, the company gradually expanded and today we, we produce around 200,000 bottles on 36 hectares of, uh, of vineyard here in the valley. And today the winery is managed by us the second generation. So me and my sister, we take care of the winemaking and the marketing, while Silvio and Alessio, children of one of the other founding partners, handle the the viticultural aspect. Um, Our parents, I have to say, they have done a really great job of empowering us, of instilling a love for wine in us since we were super young. I remember when I was something like, I don't know, four or five, and we were tasting, always tasting wines at home. And my father used to tell me, put your finger in and tell me what you can feel. So since the beginning, I've been drinking since I was very young, let's say that. But and, but they really continue to, to offer their silent support uh, to the company, giving us confidence and encouraging us uh, always to do better and better. Thank you very much, Julia. And actually, uh, I must say that uh, uh, the way a lot of people uh, uh, actually start uh, uh, this job uh, is uh, thanks to this kind of uh, experiences in their family, because obviously if you start at a very early age, uh, it's much, I think, easier to get uh, uh, passionate like uh, like we are, I would say. So uh, you mentioned that, uh, obviously, Pravis is uh, a position in the Valle dei Laghi. Um, can you tell us something more about uh, your area specifically and uh, what makes it uh, uh, so special when uh, it comes to wine? Yeah, Valle, Valle dei Laghi uh, is a valley located in southwestern Trentino known actually for its strong viticultural vocation due to its uh, unique pedoclimatic characteristics. In fact, the, the influence of the Garda Lake, which is super close, is like um, less than 20 kilometers away from us, and the other seven lakes that we have here in the area create uh, a kind of Mediterranean climate. Uh, in fact, we are the last Europe. We are in the last European parallel to give you an idea where olive trees are cultivated, and in our forest we have olm oak, which uh, honestly have uh, really a little to do with the Dolomitic climate. Um, the the soil that we have here is divided between the Dolomite soil, which is actually carbonate of calcium and magnesium, so a soil uh, super rich in minerals and perfect for white wine production or red wine production such as the Pinot Noir, for example. And on the other part of the valley, we have alluvial silt um, the, in, the, in, the Sarka, in the Sarka Valley, which is the valley that goes to, to, the, to the Garda Lake. The most important thing in, uh, in our valley, I would say, which is crucial, is the Ora del Garda. The Ora del Garda is the wind that blows daily from the lake uh, through our valley, ensuring uh, um, exceptional grape health uh, and really, uh, again, a, a unique kind of climate. Yeah, I think that uh, 
actually Valle dei Laghi is very very interesting because as as you said basically it's uh, uh, it's a pocket of land with a very specific and I would say very different uh, uh, condition and uh, I think this makes it uh, uh, so interesting so um, I think this introduction was necessary to give obviously our listener a better understanding of uh, uh, the foundation of your work at uh, Pravis uh, but now let's uh, start talking uh, a bit more about uh, wine itself. So, first of all, can uh, can you tell us what are uh, the main grape varieties uh, grown by Pravis? And uh, how would you describe, uh, uh, generally speaking, the styles of uh, your wines? Yeah, I think, uh, and I like to say that uh, um, our production is mainly divided into three periods, into three moments. Uh, in the past, with the old Trentino grape varieties, such as uh, Noziola, Negrara, uh, Franconia, which uh, represent our roots and our history. In the present, with international grapes bucketed to our region, like the Pinot Noir, the Sauvignon Blanc, the Gewurztraminer, and in the future, we actually embrace the use of uh, um, resistant varieties known as PV, which symbolize uh, our growth and uh, our adaptation um, to the viticultural rim. Our w- winemaking style uh, primarily reflects the, the territory, first of all, that's the most important thing, and the characteristic of the land and then, secondly, the grape variety. So what I always try to do when I talk about my area, when I talk about the, the, my winery, first of all, is the soil, the environment where we are, and in the second hand, uh, the grape variety and the way that we have to, to enhance uh, their, naturally, their natural characteristics. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Julia. And um, uh, so obviously you describe... Uh, um the actual identity of Pravis that uh, as I was saying at the beginning of uh, um, the, the our chat uh, is basically uh, divided between uh, the traditional uh, grape varieties and uh, uh, wines uh, uh, of Trentino and uh, let's say more innovative or uh, let's say international wines so um, in your opinion <clears throat> what are the the wines or uh, uh, the type of wines or the style of wines that you think will support uh, uh, the growing popularity of Trentino uh, in the coming years? For sure, um, I think that for sure Trento Doc sparkling wine is indeed having a very positive effect on the popularity of Trentino region. This traditional method, sparkling wine, produced uh, like um, a kind of champagne using Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Meunier grapes, has gained recognition both uh, nationally and internationally for its quality and distinctive character. Uh, furthermore, the indigenous grape varieties, which are the heart of our region, will certainly have an impact on consumers. Uh, varieties such as uh, Noziola, as I said before, Negrara, but even Teroldego, uh, Marzemino, you know, they have a unique kind of flavors uh, and characteristics uh, that uh, reflect the local 
terroir and winemaking tradition. Yeah, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, Trento Doc is definitely something that uh, not only, obviously, in the national market in Italy, but uh, uh, also abroad, uh, uh, is becoming more and more popular because I think that, uh, um, obviously, Trentino has the perfect condition to make uh, uh, top quality uh, traditional metal sparkling wine. And uh, uh, I agree that it actually could be uh, something like uh, creating uh, a Trento was Trentino and obviously all the other wines and varieties will obviously have benefits from from this. Um, Julia, uh, I think we had uh, also a chance of uh, uh, discussing about this uh, um, uh, in Verona when we met in Italy uh, this year. Um, we are discussing that basically uh, is getting basically very clear uh, that um, uh, climate change is bringing every year more and more challenges for uh, uh, wine producers. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, how is uh, uh, climate change, uh, let's say, changing your uh, uh, approach to viticulture and uh, also what kind of impact is this having on uh, uh, your style of wines? Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Um, yes, uh, climate change is indeed uh, a pressing issue that poses significant challenges to agriculture as a whole. Um, in in, uh, for our region, cultivating at a higher altitude can help uh, to, uh, to regulate the timing of the harvest season, but for sure it cannot solve the problem of extreme weather events. I believe that in order to address this change, is very important to prevent it, first of all, by protecting the nature and what we already have. This includes limiting the use of machine in the vineyard, for example, like I don't know, tractors, or reducing the emission of chemical substances. Um, for this reason, our approach is increasingly shifting towards to cultivation of resistant varieties, as we said at the beginning. Uh, you know, these varieties... Uh, have uh, naturally resist natural resistant to specific disease so we can actually reduce the need of chemical in, in um, chemical uh, products into into the air and uh, into the uh, in, into the soil and also we can cut but when i say cut i mean 70% 90% cut the use of tractors and the use of machine into the into the vineyard i think that is very important to to promote a more um, sustainable and Vermont environmentally friendly approach to to viticulture, and this is the the kind of solution that we that we found. Yeah, Julia, I'm glad uh, you uh, talk about uh, uh, resistant uh, varieties because actually, <clears throat> I also think that uh, uh, it's very important to prevent as much as possible, uh, all uh, uh, the factors that are actually uh, making climate change uh, quicker uh, or even uh, worse in some cases. And uh, um, as uh, um, when I first, uh, uh, let's say, started to discover resistant varieties, I also found uh, uh, 
found them very interesting because uh, <clears throat> basically they are even beyond uh, organic in terms of uh, uh, soil uh, consumption uh, and actually uh, you know nowadays we talk a lot about uh, minimum intervention and uh, resistant varieties are definitely uh, working in this uh, direction so uh, basically are, var- are varieties that uh, are able to protect themselves so basically uh, the human intervention is uh, kept to a very very minimum level so um Resistant varieties or peewee varieties uh, have uh, very deep roots uh, with the story of uh, Pravis. Uh, currently, this is uh, a very important topic in the world of wine. And uh, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, very important uh, scientists like uh, Professor Scienza, for instance, that uh, they are uh, uh, pushing a lot into this uh, direction. And... Uh, we cannot say the same for 20 years ago. So actually, the situation 20 years ago was uh, completely different. Uh, can you tell us why uh, you decided to plant the first wines of these uh, type of varieties? And uh, why did you decide to go down this path that uh, at the beginning was uh, like very risky? And I think that probably some people uh, thought that you were uh, crazy doing that. Um, so why you were so, from the very beginning, uh, you were so uh, committed to this kind of uh, work? Yeah, we, in fact, we, we planted our um, first PV, PV vineyard, PV, PV grapes, uh, 22 years ago, when it was still completely unknown. Believe me, completely, even from other wine producers in the area or in Italy, completely unknown. Everyone looked at us uh, like, uh, I don't know, aliens, where we, we were trying to explain them uh, our our project. However, my my father immediately recognized the viticulture and enological potential of, of this kind of grapes. Uh, the idea was born uh, from a simple territorial reason. Uh, we live in Trentino. We live in a region where uh, room for agriculture is becoming increasingly limited. You know, between mountains, lakes, towns, roads, and bike paths, the availability of plots for lands is, is very few. Over the years, there has been a growing focus on environmental concerns and human health, rightfully prohibiting phytosanitary treatments in the rural areas and further reducing cultivation possibilities. From our perspective, PV varieties have become the only solution. By eliminating or reducing treatments, as I said, really reducing, including copper and sulfur, because man, what I realized over these 20 years is that 90% of the people, when you try to explain this project, they they, at the end, they tell you, oh, you're bio. I said, no, we are not bio. We cultivate PV. We are actually more than bio because we don't use even copper or sulfur. So we are, as our line is called, zero impact. So we, we actually minimize, as I said before, the use of agricultural machinery. And uh, um, we came back, we we did go back to cultivate in uh, previously abandoned land. To give you an idea, one of these varieties, the Sauvigny Gris, for example, is uh, is cultivated next to a nursery school. 
I mean, what other variety, what other kind of agricultural space can have close to a nursery school? This is really amazing from my point of view. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, um, it's so um, unfortunate that uh, these kind of uh, uh, varieties are uh, finding, let's say, uh, some kind of resistance from uh, um, the, the wine market. And uh, I think as... Uh, uh, it's very clear reading uh, the last book of uh, Attilio Scienza, Wine and Prejudice. It's very clear that basically there is a part of uh, the wine uh, market that basically is uh, trying to prevent these uh, varieties to uh, become more uh, and more important. Maybe uh, they are scared that uh, uh, they, they represent like some kind of threat or danger to the wine market. It's very very difficult to uh, to move forward and uh, um, I think that one of the reasons why uh, um, resistant varieties uh, are still uh, an issue is because uh, uh, a part of the, 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 the wine industry including wine producer um, are very concerned that uh, uh, for the fact that uh, <coughs> These are resistant varieties basically are hybrid varieties. Um, you uh, are not able to uh, arrive at the same quality level of, uh, uh, let's say, the traditional varieties. And uh, so when I first met you uh, in Vinital 2022, I was... Uh, um, very shocked to learn that actually uh, not only you had been experimenting and working a lot with resistant varieties in the past 22 years, but also after many, many years of experience, uh, trials and errors, uh, you have been able to develop uh, a lineup of three uh, different wines uh, from uh, resistant varieties. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about uh, the lineup uh, Naran, Zero Impact, and uh, uh, it is composed of uh, two white and one sparkling wine. Um, can you tell us, so first of all, why did you decide to give uh, uh, to this range of wines this uh, specific name? And uh, uh, how would you describe the three different wines uh, in the uh, Naran uh, range, uh, specifically in terms of uh, style and uh, characteristics? Yeah, um, the name Naran actually comes from the location where our first uh, PV grapes were planted. So it's actually a name of our location. And the wine line uh, is called, uh, as you said, Zero Impact, because it seemed to us that it was the most appropriate name, as it truly is Zero Impact. Um, you know, we have uh, planted at the moment over 15 PV varieties. But currently, as you said, only um, three of them are available on the market because with the others, we are still conducing microvinification. Um, we have to do it. I mean, it's really important to do this microvinification and to do research because I think that everybody can tell how potentially a Cabernet Sauvignon could be in uh, 10 years. Uh, Chianti, uh, Nero Dowell, I don't know, a Sauvignon Blanc, you know how... You know, if this kind of wine is, uh, mm, I want to say, vocated to, to aging or if it's not. But nobody knows, nobody used to know, if uh, a Brunner would be good in 20 years or a uh, Solaris could be 
drinkable in uh, the next uh, uh, seven years or it um, if uh, the, the the changing would be would be too strong so microinfication with the others is uh, crucial um, as you said we have three one sparkly one uh, that uh, that is made with Yoniter grape variety which is a fantastic grape for sparkling winemaking because even at full phenolic maturity, it maintains a very high acidity. To give you an idea, when we harvest it, usually at the end of August, the seed is completely black, so fully phenol- full phenolic maturity, but it has 11 grams per liter of acidity, so actually perfect for the sparkling wine production. Uh, for the other two, there are two steel wines. We have Solaris and uh, Sauvignon Gris. They have distinct uh, um, aromatic profiles. Uh, Solaris, for example, is more citrusy and it reminds a little bit of Riesling, which is part uh, part of the blood of this uh, of this variety. While Sauvignon Gris has more tropical notes. But the interesting thing about these white PV grapes is that both are characterized by significantly higher polyphenol content compared to a regular white wine, um, regular white uh, grape varieties, requiring so a very delicate handling during winemaking. This is something that we learned after a few years. You know, we press them so gentle, like like doing it by hand. So this is the main the main difference. Okay, and uh, Giulia, um, you um, basically said that you have more than 15 different uh, uh, resistant varieties uh, at the moment in your vineyards, but obviously you make uh, wines only from three of them, and uh, basically with the others you are still doing uh, um, experiment or, let's say, uh, microvinification. Uh, can you describe uh, uh, to our listeners a bit more uh, uh, in detail what do you mean with microvinification and uh, why it's so important uh, uh, to do that before actually releasing this kind of uh, wines? With uh, microvinification, I mean that we do the wine as normal, so we harvest it every year with we try to change the harvest time to see the difference between one week before before and later. And we we do it alone and we bottle it, but we don't sell it. So we wait. We wait years and years. In this way, we can try it. We can try it in the bottle after one year, after two years, after five years, after 10 years. This in order to be able to uh, say to the customers how is actually evolving, how is how is going on, what they have to expect from this kind of uh, of wine, and how the harvest did influence the quality of the of the of the final product. So, for example, with the Sauvignon Gris, it took us ten years to to go out because first we produce it uh, without skin. Then we tried it to do a, a microvinification with skin contact inside the stainless steel tank, but we realized that the quantity of polyphenolic um, inside the naturally inside the skin was a little bit too high and the, the one was becoming bitter at the, in the mouth. So we prefer to, to take the skin away. So, you know, 
or little kind of, let's say, mistakes that we learned from them. And we, but they are crucial. I mean, you always have to learn and you always have to understand how they're becoming and what you're going to sell. Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, this is uh, amazing because this is a very pragmatic approach. And uh, I think it's fascinating because uh, um, obviously you are uh, uh, discovering basically a new world because uh, as you mentioned, uh, we don't have uh, a chronological history of how this kind of varieties uh, perform in two, three, five, seven, ten, twenty 20 years. And uh, um, obviously uh, it's uh, amazing that you're doing uh, this kind of uh, work because obviously it's clear that uh, you are not only uh, doing this uh, for Pravis and your customers, but basically um, you are also um, helping uh, uh, the world of resistant varieties to uh, move forward. Because uh, um, I remember uh, in Verona, you also mentioned that uh, you have a very um, straight relationship also with the uh, uh, the the divide that are actually uh, creating the new uh, the new varieties and the new clones. So basically, it's not uh, that you're just doing uh, this uh, job to make sure that you have good wines uh, to sell to your customer, but at the same time, so you are helping the research to to move forward. Is that correct? Correct, exactly. At the beginning, in fact, when we planted the the grapes. Uh, we went to to Freiburg before we planted it, and we asked to the to, to the research center to to have these grapes because we were fascinated by them and we wanted to plant them and to see because we thought that it was the only solution to 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 give a possibility to the agriculture. So we became a kind of uh, um, how can I say um, experimental center. So they used to send us the grapes and we did give back to them um, like a kind of um, notes with all the changes, not just in the wine, but also in the vineyard, in the grapes, how it was going. So, yes, we had that this uh, partnership. We have this partnership with the Freiburg Institute that uh, really helped us a lot uh, to start and to go on, you know. 25 years ago was uh, the only one. Now everybody, even Italians uh, and producers of vines are are doing them, so now it's a little bit different, you know. But uh, at the beginning, uh, we, re- we really started with the, with the first one, so with the Freiburg uh, Institute. Well, it's... Uh... It's. Uh, I think the the work uh, you have been doing in the, for the past twenty two years. It's uh, uh, it's very very important. And uh, uh, Julia, um, obviously, I think that uh, all uh, the listeners notice that uh, uh, there aren't uh, any red wines uh, in the uh, Naran uh, zero impact uh, range yet. Um, when I met you in Verona, you told me that. Uh, with the red varieties, you were having a bit more issues uh, managing them and uh, basically uh, making very good quality wines. Um, you also mentioned that you were still doing trials, experimenting, and uh, you were not uh, 100% uh, happy with the final results, yes. Uh, as of today, 
what is the situation in terms of uh, red varieties? Red, obviously, peewee varieties. And uh, are you actually optimistic about uh, uh, introducing a red wine in the Naran range uh, anytime soon? <laughs> um, yeah, as you as you said, in our line there are no red grapes varieties, and um, I would say mainly for two reasons. Firstly, when when we started our experimentation, the red grape varieties from Freiburg were restricted due to the production of secondary compounds, so we couldn't. This is something that we realized. Uh, years years later, but we couldn't actually uh, produce wine from those grapes due to these um, compounds. However, uh, this issue has been effectively resolved with the introduction of new clones. So now it's absolutely possible to to produce wine from red PV grapes with uh, no problem. But the main thing is that the, um, red PV varieties tend to still taste a little bit um, allow me allow me the word uh, wild so two American notes are inside the wines they're two uh, they have two foxy taste so this is something that um, are not into the consumer preferences uh, I think that uh, there is still work to do still work to to be done in terms of refining the flavor and the characteristics of this red variety to better sweet the taste of the consumer because at the end we can produce the best wine we can produce the best thing but if nobody likes it <laughs> the the it's, it's pointless so yes it's still a little bit too too american taste today let's say that so we will see. We will see if we will if we are going to add uh, a red, um, a red uh, um, naran to our line. But it's probably going to happen, but in a few years. Okay, Julia. And uh, obviously, uh, I just want to uh, point out that when you were referring um, that uh, the red wines uh, from uh, resistant varieties had. Uh, uh, American notes was due to the fact because not uh, maybe not uh, all the listeners know that uh, the way the, that basically resistant varieties were born, as I mentioned, are hybrid varieties. So uh, basically um, a cross between uh, the let's say the European vines, the traditional ones, and the American vines that obviously are the so the vitis vinifera and the, the wild uh, vitis. Uh, obviously, the American part uh, is the part, uh, uh, and obviously, Julia, uh, correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, because obviously, you know much, much more than me. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, the American part uh, is giving the resistance to disease uh, and uh, um, and pathogens to, to the vines, uh, but also is also the part that gives uh, more the more wild uh, and let's say less elegant and refined note to the final uh, product while obviously the european part of uh, the resistant varieties is what gives uh, the traditional elegance finesse that uh, uh, we know is uh, my basically description correct yeah yeah i just want to add that actually Maybe because maybe um, it's not super clear. PV varieties are actually interspecific crosses uh, 
what it means. This means that they are obtained by crossing American or um, Asian vines, such as Vitis riparia, Vitis rupersis, rupestris, or, I don't know, Vitis amurensis from Asia, for example, with our Vitis vinifera. What's the point? American vines have indeed developed resistance to fungal diseases like Pronospora, Botrytis, Oidium, over the centuries, unlike our vinifera that poor one was unprepared when those diseases arrived. So um, it's not an immediate process to obtain Solaris. For example, there are more than 50 different varieties that are crossed. So it's really a long work to, to obtain the, the, the resistant. I want to underline the fact, because sometimes happened and People think about PV and think about OGM. They're not in friends, okay? Not at all. They're just interspecific crosses between two different species. Um, it's more common to, to, to know about crosses. So between two Vitis vinifera, like, I don't know, in, uh, here in Trentino we have a Rebo. Rebo is Merlot cross Teroldego. Okay, so two different kind of red varieties, but both from the vinifera species. In this case, we have two different species. That's why interspecific crosses. I don't know if uh, I was clear. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you, Julia. I think you you uh, actually made this uh, uh, very clear. And uh, as you mentioned, I think in the world of wine, we are very used to the word uh, cross because we have a lot of uh, varieties, even important varieties that are a cross of uh, two different varieties within uh, the Vitis vinifera species. What makes the resistant varieties so special is the fact that uh, they are cross between two different species. And this uh, is what gives uh, naturally uh, resistance to the, uh, to the final variety. Um, so, uh, Julia, we are reaching the end of our conversation. I think we could uh, actually discuss uh, uh, about uh, uh, resistant varieties for hours and hours, but I want also to leave uh, a bit of time uh, in the end to um, some questions, if we have any questions. Uh, so, I have two, uh, very quickly, two last questions that I always like uh, uh, to ask uh, uh, to uh, uh, produce uh, um, when I do this kind of uh, fireside chats. So the first one is uh, um, wine communication, obviously, uh, is a very hot topic right now. Um, I think that uh, to some extent uh, we are uh, at uh, a crossroad uh, where uh, wine producers are trying to find uh, uh, the best and the most effective uh, way uh, to share as much as possible of their values with the final consumers uh, without overcomplicating things. Um, at Pravis, I think we can say that you have always given very high relevance to uh, international markets and uh, to the export business. And uh, um, I just wanted to ask you, Julia, uh, from your uh, uh, direct experience, uh, what are the three uh, most important uh, uh, words uh, uh, or adjectives uh, to be used when uh, communicating and uh, promoting uh, Italian wine uh, abroad? Um, what I think, I think that nowadays, you know, good wine is indeed produced in many countries around the world. So 
in my opinion, to stand out, we need to emphasize what we are. We are in Italy. We need the, to everybody to know our enological history, the enological history of our country, the incredible number of indigenous grape variety that we have. Nobody else has something like that. And the remarkable pedoclimatic diversity that characterizes uh, uh, our land. So definitely history, number of indigenous varieties and uh, uh, pedoclimatic diver- diversity, I would say. Yeah, actually, Giulia, uh, I totally agree because uh, um, uh, I think that uh, the level of diversity that we have uh, in Italy, uh, combining uh, uh, the number of uh, grey varieties, microclimates, uh, and even soils, because uh, from northern Italy to southern Italy, we have uh, uh, many, 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 many different types of soil. Combining these three different variables, we reach uh, an incredible number of different wines and styles of wine. So I I, I agree with you. It is uh, um, uh, by far the most important thing to uh, underline when... uh, uh, describing Italian wine. Uh, in my in my experience, personally, I also found that uh, this is also the most difficult part. So at the same time, it's like a strength and potentially a weakness because on, on, on one end, obviously, we have this great diversity. And on the other end, for some uh, wine consumers abroad, around the world, uh, it might be very difficult to understand Italian wine, uh, especially if they have never been to Italy, because uh, um, obviously we cannot assume that uh, everyone is very familiar to, uh, let's say, uh, the type of climates we have in central Italy or uh, in Sicily or in Trentino, because maybe in in the export markets, there are a lot of people that uh, uh, have never visited Italy. So uh, have you found... uh, uh, in the past, any issues uh, trying to describe, uh, uh, let's say, uh, your region, so where Trentino is uh, and the different varieties, or have you found uh, uh, normally that uh, uh, white consumers looking for uh, your uh, uh, wines are already uh, have already a level of knowledge that is uh, uh, quite good? No, for sure, for sure, uh, I found. Uh, <clears throat> many problems talking about Trentino because, you know, if uh, in particular abroad, uh, when I, mm, I don't know, talking about US, for example, average people think about uh, Italian wines and they think about Barolo and Chianti. That's it. So when I explain to them, I always need to do a kind of uh, geographical um, introduction. When I say Trentino, Trentino is in the middle between Dolomites and Garda Lake. And then they understand. So it's not easy to to promote the, the region uh, the region abroad. That's that's for sure. And even the, the varieties that uh, that we have, you know, uh, we have uh, some very, very big winery in Trentino. And the problem is that what they do, they do just international varieties such as Pinot Grigio and Merlot. So everyone thinks that uh, Trentino is famous for Pinot Grigio, but it's not because Trentino is actually a um, beautiful region with many indigenous varieties and many and, and a lot of potential for other varieties so that's that's the main problems that uh, i found myself in uh, abroad yeah uh, i i totally agree i think that uh, uh, 
I would say, abroad, the, the wine knowledge of uh, consumers abroad uh, when it comes to Italian wine is focused mainly on uh, three to five uh, uh, wine regions. Um, and then uh, you need to uh, obviously spend a lot of time uh, uh, describing uh, the different, the other regions and uh, their characteristics. So um, I think we have reached the end of our uh, chat. I have uh, one very last question for you, uh, Giulia. Um, so I give you three options. One, web and social media. Two, PR and press. And three, wine tourism and uh, hospitality. So if you, you know, as uh, a company director, you were given uh, enough resources, let's say both in terms of time and money. So don't think about money. Uh, you are giving enough time and money to do whatever you want. But uh, you could invest only in one of these three uh, marketing channels. Uh, where you would invest your time and resources and why? Okay, without a doubt, I definitely choose wine tourism really 100%. I believe that it's the best way to educate consumers to make them perceive and understand what lies behind a bottle on a shelf. Because, you know, wine is not a beverage. Wine is history, is culture, is hard work, is terroir. And this concept needs to be known. And I believe that there is no better way to do it than with wine tourism, you know. Visitors can immerse themselves in the viticultural environment, explore vineyards, observe the work of winemakers and producers, and even participate in um, in guided tasting sometimes, uh, this uh, tangible experience uh, really enable consumer to, to develop a deeper connection with wine, understanding its uh, production process and appreciating the dedicated work and passion that goes uh, into each bottle of wine. Uh, wine tourism um, is becoming uh, really a bridge between the producer and the consumer. Um, allowing the transmission of knowledge, experience and stories that might uh, otherwise not uh, be fully understood uh, or appreciate. So it's, I think that is really um, an opportunity um, that um, needs to be considered and uh, valorized. Yeah, Julia, I think that uh, basically, I think this is... Uh very linked to what we 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 said before about uh, you know maybe some issues uh, that there are currently describing uh, um, lesser known regions of uh, Italy, and I think yes, uh, the answer is not uh, uh, you know taking any shortcut or any easy uh, path. The only thing is to invest a lot in uh, making sure that more and more people are coming to different the dif to visit the different uh, uh, wine regions and uh, uh, wine producers and uh, when they go back to their own uh, country they will start basically becoming uh, small uh, Italian wine ambassador because they will uh, want they will demand uh, the, uh, their national importers to, uh, to get uh, the wines they uh, discovered when they were abroad. So uh, I agree. It's a very 
you know, it's a very long uh, path and difficult path to follow. But uh, uh, I think that, uh, yes, wine tourism and uh, hospitality is uh, by far uh, the most effective way to have uh, very good results in the, in the long term for uh, Italian wine. So this was uh, uh, my very last question. Uh, thank you very much, Julia. And uh, Laika, uh, over to you. Uh, if there are any other questions from the audience or uh, uh, if you have questions yourself. Okay, thank, thank you, you so Michele. Thank you so much, um, Julia and Michele. It was really well prepared and uh, you guys really prepared for this clubhouse. So that's really amazing and really appreciated. And I'm sure um, it's really worth a listen. Uh, we've recorded it and it will be up on Italian Wine Podcast around June 15th on Thursday at um, in the morning around 8 a.m. So, um, yes, thank you so much for your time. And um, guys, uh, for those who are listening in, do you have any questions for Julia? We still have a minute. So maybe if you have any questions, you can raise your hand. Okay, so, all right. So we don't have any questions at the moment. But if if you have any questions in the future, you can reach out um, to Julia or you can reach out to Italian Wine Podcast, info at italianwinepodcast.com. And then we're going to forward the questions to Julia. All right. So before I wrap, um, I wrap up, um, I want to say that our next clubhouse is going to be next week. It's going to be um, on June 15 at 5.30 p.m. Uh, Italian time zone. So... Uh, Bella Ma, she's our Italian wine ambassador from Hong Kong, will be interviewing Luca Rowania. So that's going to be next week. All right. So that's it. Thank you so much, Michele and Julia. And yeah, have a good weekend, guys. Thank you, Laika. Thank, Thank you, Julia. You. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. 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 While you drink, don't forget these tasting tips. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time. Chi-chi.